Hey, it was seen by over a billion people, and I bet you every person in this room watched it, and probably watched it live. I know I did. It was captivating. It was mesmerizing. You, if you were walking by a screen, a computer screen, a TV screen when this went down, you couldn't just walk by. You would have to watch it. It was um, uh, referred to again and again and again with the word miracle, and, and rightly so, it definitely was. One person, one commentator went so far as to call it a global spiritual event. I don't know if I'd go that far, but it was something that was most extraordinary and amazing. And it was, fairly recently, the rescue of 33 miners down in a cave down in the deep earth of Chile. After all was said and done, there were many things said, but the, the one line, the one quote, the one phrase that I think captured things so well was actually put in a letter and sent up the, the little uh, tube that was drilled down before they were actually rescued. It was, the quote was by Jimmy Sanchez, who was the youngest miner trapped in there. He was like 19-year-old young guy, and he wrote and sent up in a letter to his family. He said, there are actually 34 of us here because God has never left us down here. So many things had to come together perfectly for those 33 people to live. And what was really remarkable to me was how good they looked when they came out. I mean, they were clean-shaven. They looked like they'd just been on a little vacation, you know? And how could that be? How could they not only look like that, but how could they survive? So many things had to come together perfectly for that to happen. And it seems to me the most important thing that had to happen for their survival was not getting this kind of magical new drill that was sent over from America and this and that and the cage and the contraption and all the technical stuff as important as that was. It was the fact, the need that those 33 had to come together as one. They had to, they had to come together or they were surely going to die. And from what I understand, that didn't happen right away. That at first in the darkness and the heat and the danger and the fear and the chaos that was going on in that cave, there was great disarray. There was total craziness going on. And, and that would make sense, wouldn't it? I mean, 33 of us down in some frightening cave, not even knowing if anyone would ever find us, let alone rescue us, um, it would be kind of every man, every woman for himself, at least for a while. But then apparently things began to change. And one key leader surfaced and everyone had to buy in and they came together and they survived and apparently even thrived down there to a degree. It seems to me that's a, a great illustration for the state that we are in as just humans on planet earth. I mean, we're not in some dark, dank cave, but we are on a planet as much as God created it good and loves it to the point of sending his son to die for it. This is a scary, frightening place. I mean, I haven't seen this morning's paper yet, but I guarantee when I go home, pour a cup of coffee, start reading, it's going to be a depressing thing, by and large. That we live in a world where, like those miners in that cave, we need to come together or we are not going to survive. I don't think we could survive in this world, in this culture, alone, any more than they could. And amazingly, little has changed since the days of the Apostle Paul and even before. I mean, this world has been a scary, dangerous place, a difficult place full of trial and tribulation, and it will continue to be till we all go home 
to be with God, we who have given our lives to Jesus Christ. And so, Paul lays that out. Not in great detail, but in the first chapter of Philippians, and really again and again and again in his writings, he makes the point that we live in a fallen world. Now, Paul wrote the letter to the church at Philippi while he was in, imprisoned. Most commentators think he wasn't away in a prison prison, but he was under kind of house arrest. But either way, Paul understood well the gravity of problems and trials and tribulations in his life. I mean, at one point, you know, he just lists them all, from shipwrecks to prison to beatings. I mean, the guy knew what it was like to go through trials and tribulations and, and problems and, and scary events in his life. And so he kind of makes a few references to that in the first chapter. It's sort of like he says, all right, life is hard. We know that. It is possible to survive and even thrive. And then he turns a corner in chapter 2. And he uses a word that you don't find in the NIV, but it's there in the Greek, and it's in a number of other translations. It's kind of his second favorite transition word behind therefore. You know Paul likes that word therefore. It's like in Romans, all this is messed up, but Jesus is here and therefore. Therefore, in, in, in the second chapter of Philippians, he kicks it off with the transition word so. So, so the world is messed up. This is a scary place. We do have the possibility here of doing great things, and I've seen it in you, Church of Philippi. So, and then he turns the corner. Now, I want to look at the first five verses, and maybe a bit beyond, in chapter 2 of Philippians, but I'm not going to read it all in one chunk. I'm going to kind of pick it apart as we go along. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to the second chapter of Philippians. And this is another message in the series that we've been looking at this fall, the five love languages and this one's particularly centered around the giving of good gifts to each other. Verse 1, second, or, uh, second chapter of Philippians. Paul writes, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Verse 1, second chapter, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And you see kind of a pattern there. In fact, the word he uses again and again is what? The word if. If this, if that, if this, if that. There's actually four of them, but the first three are critical. It is a reference to the Trinity, plain as day right here. He says if, and he refers to Jesus. If, and he refers to the love of God the Father. And if, and he refers to the Holy Spirit. The math of verse 1 of chapter 2 of Philippians goes like this. It's like 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 1. That's the math of the Trinity. And you've heard a thousand different ways of explaining that, from an egg to H2O to many other illustrations. But it's one of those theological underpinnings of our faith that we need to chew on. Like we're not going to be able to wrap it up and stick it in a box, but it is fundamental. It's the foundational theological truth on which we stand that we have with us, before us, and around us, and in heaven, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And here, Paul kind of frames that in. And he doesn't assume that you buy it. That's why he uses the word if. I just love Paul's logic. I think I mentioned to you before, my mom has told me so many times, she goes, Mike, not to get your feelings hurt, but when I get to heaven, first I'm finding Paul. you know. And then she goes, Bonhoeffer, and then you, is kind of her... <laughs> Her, and I get that. You know what I mean? Like to sit down with Paul and go, dude, you, 
Hugh just brought it. And he would go, hey, it was the Holy Spirit. You know, if it was any good at all, I was just writing it down. And here he lays out a theological framework on which we stand, but he doesn't assume that you buy it or that you even understand it. Although deep down he knows the church in Philippi does. Like he really compliments them a lot. Like without making them prideful. In fact, he shoots it down in a second. But he, he, he uses the word if, a powerful use there. And so he refers to the Trinity. The first if, he says, if there is any encouragement from being united in Christ. The word encouragement there is a loaded word. It's paraclesis. When we get the word paraclete, it's like, it's like someone alongside. It's someone like a defense attorney. I mean, he's not just arguing your defense, but he's arguing your defense, Jesus is, with his right arm around your shoulder, asking you if he can get you anything, like a cup of water, are you okay? He's, he's just doing it all at once. It's not just some person apart from you, but it's a presence within you and by you and through you. This first if is a loaded one where Paul says, if there's any encouragement or comfort, the word comforter is used a lot by Paul, from being united in Christ. And so a reference to Christ, the first person of the Trinity. And then on to the second one, he says the second if, if any incentive or comfort of love, a reference to the amazing unconditional love of the Father, the fatherly love, the word used agape, unconditional love. This love changes everything. This love is not human. In fact, so much so that come Jesus, they had to invent a new Greek word for the kind of love they saw. What kind of love is this that would be tortured and nailed to a cross and just pour out to them, forgive them, Father, they don't even know what they're doing. We've got to invent a new word. This is not phileo. This is not eros. This is not, this is a new one. They invent the word agape, unconditional love. It's not human love. And the best definition I've ever heard of agape, unconditional, not human love, is looking the other person square in the eye, knowing all the sin, all the dirt, all the junk. I know everything you've thought, said, done. I know it all. I love you period. And then the lover keeps silent. There is nothing after the period. It's a period. I love you, period. That's unconditional love. That's not human love. That's a reference here, Paul's second if, to the Father, God the Father. It's big, it's overwhelming, and it's a game changer. It changes everything. The third if that he refers to, he says it like this, if any participation or fellowship in the Spirit. A reference there to the powerful, equipping, motivating, accepting ministry, calling into Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that is sent by Jesus himself to be with us, to take us to the next level, to ultimately conform you more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Unbelievable, the power and work of the Holy Spirit. And he says, if we have fellowship with him, and participation in what he's doing, calling us into ministry. We can't even help ourselves. i got to tell you, I never even really thought about going into ministry. It was like I couldn't help but do it. And nor can you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. He has you by your heartstrings, and he's pulling you where he wants you, and where he wants you is in ministry. Maybe you're not going to get paid for it. Maybe it's going to be full time. But 
into ministry we go, fellowship and, and involvement and participation with the Spirit of God. And then he throws a fourth if in, just for fun. And this is kind of a wacky one. He says, if any affection and sympathy. Affection and sympathy. It's like earthy. It's like deep set inside of us. It's like feelings involved. It's like affection is your heart and your soul. Affection. And sympathy, it's, it's, it's like acting out on what you're feeling on behalf of another. I don't know if you've cracked open a King James Version Bible lately. It's, uh, it's actually worth doing if you have one. If you haven't poked around a King James, I mean, you've got to kind of wade through the these and the thous and the, the thithers. Is thither one of them? Um, you've got to kind of wade around in there a little bit. But the translations that are there, especially in some kind of key loaded words, like what Paul's throwing around here, are, are worth a grab. And I, I did that this week, and I looked. The translation and the use of the words affection and sympathy that the King James Version uses is bowels and mercies. When I first saw the word bowels, I thought, bowels? No, bowels and mercies. And bowels are like your gut. Like, it's kind of gross. It's like down deep inside of you. It's like the real you. It's what drives you. It's what motivates you. It's what pulls you into the future. Your bowels and the action out of that of your mercies. I probably wouldn't do this, but I can't help myself because of what's deep set, deep down in my gut. And it's powerful. And so, it's like Paul's saying like this. He's saying, if you are encouraged by the fact that Christ is in you, if you're fired up at the thought that the Heavenly Father's love has changed you, if you're fueled by the fact that the Holy Spirit is using you, if deep down in your gut, in your heart, you have a calling and a passion, and you can't help but do this, but say yes to this, to come down here to church on Sunday morning, to come together with fellow Christians, this isn't even your, 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 your plan, it isn't your desire, it's like you can't help it, but do this and be about this. He says, if all that is true for you, and by the way, Paul knew deep down in his heart and his mind that all that was true about the church at Philippi. Um, by the way, I know deep down in my heart, and some of you that have been around here for a while know that it's true about this church. It's one of the reasons Amy and I have stuck around for 20 years, you know, that and the fact that this church loves on students and kids. Um, we know there's no pride in that. It's just a fact that deep down, like, this is true about us, Paul. Like, it was true deep down. You know, even though you use the word if, just out of courtesy to someone that might read it and it's not true about them. He goes, if all that's true, then make my joy complete. Now, that word joy is a word that Paul loves. It's used again and again and again. Um, it's used 16 times in Philippians. I mean, 16. That's a lot, you know? Joy, 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 joy. I mean, 16 times is a lot. So it's a big deal. It's like where he's driving to. And then here he says, if you want to seal the deal with my joy, like game done, and I can go retire as an apostle. Now, if you want to make my joy complete, do this. Be this. And he describes what this is in verse 2 and 3 and 4. And what this is, it seems to me, could best be captured by the thought and the phrase unity, the word unity. That ultimately, if you want to make my joy complete, Christians at Philippi come together as one. 
like, be about this together. Like, ultimately, I, I like to think of him saying, make something beautiful. Like, make beautiful music together. I think music is a great example of what Paul kind of lays out here in verse 2, 3, and 4. Like, like, learn a song from Jesus himself, come together with other Christians, and make beautiful music. Now, I grew up in uh, a, uh, a musical family, and the guy on the right um, holding the, the saxophone and the clarinet is my uh, stud dad right over here, and the other guys are looking at him like, wow, you are cool. You know? <laughs> um, 19, late 40s, early 50s, and I have vivid memories. In fact, my whole family were, were musicians and music majors. My mom was a, a piano player and a, a church organ player. My dad played mainly those two instruments and many others. And um, my brother was a music major. My sister played tuba, which was kind of weird. And, and I hacked around on drums a little bit. And we, um, I, my brother and sister and I learned a lot about music from from that guy and from my mom and from being in a family like that. And we learned early on that to become a great musician, it takes some talent, but what it really takes is hard work and passion, like hard work and passion. That creates in you um, uh, an art form that, that can be really, really awesome. And, and so it was, and I remember my dad teaching me that and encouraging me to kind of go down that road with drums and such. And, 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 and I remember watching him play in a band and even playing in bands with him. And just what an amazing moment that constantly was. We would enter kind of a, a, a moment as a band that was like no other. You, you can see that at work up here, can't you? I mean, this morning, things were pretty lit up. And I love to sit up here. I like to watch Chris. Um, I like to watch John and some of the other musicians, the singers, um, approach their piece of music. And, and not to... Not to embarrass him, but, but Chris is, I mean, you don't need me to tell you this, but Chris is an awesome pro musician. And what makes him great, yeah. And the others are as well. And, and kind of singling Chris out, what makes Chris great isn't that he's a great, he's a great piano player, but that's not what makes him great. I mean, anybody can, great singer, he's got a killer voice, you know, he's, but what makes him great is when you see him in the context of the band. He makes the other musicians shine. Like, like Chris is better when he's with others. He'd be fine by himself, but he's even better when he's with others. And I think that is a, a clear example of what Paul's getting at here. Like, you're, you're awesome, and you're loved by God, but you're even better and definitely more effective for the kingdom when you're in community, when you're doing this together. And specifically, he kind of keys in on two two kind of avenues here. It's kind of a two-pronged fork, and it is for you and me to sing and to make beautiful music together in unison and in harmony. Like in unison, where we do it all together. Like we sing the same thing at the same time together, identical. And other times when we sing in harmony, where we're not doing the same thing, and we're playing off each other, and we're doing our very best to make the other great, and together, beautiful music happens. Listen to, listen to verse 2, Philippians 2, verse 2. Then make my joy complete, Paul writes, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit, being one in purpose. 
like-minded, the same, one, one. There's a time where we need to focus on the essentials together. This, the lordship of Jesus Christ and none other, the fact that God sacrificed all for our sin, that we are destined to an eternity in hell apart from God, not because he wants us here, he would, he's done everything to keep us out of there. But there is a truth to that, that in Christ we are set free and forgiven and we can spend forever with God in heaven if we give our lives to him. And by the way, two weeks ago yesterday, 22 of our students stood real deal, gave their lives to Jesus. 21 junior high kids and one high school kid. That changed everything. We believe in this church that those things are fundamentally true, not open to debate. So sometimes we sing in unison, but not always, because we're all coming from different, we're different ages. It's, it's, It's what has the possibility here of continuing to make beautiful music together. And so Paul continues on. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so there are times where we come together and we sing in harmony. And there's some warnings about that. In fact, there's three kind of attitude adjustments that Paul lays out here, and then one action plan. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't be selfish. He says, do nothing out of vain conceit. Don't be vain. Don't puff yourself up. Don't think you're that great. Attitude adjustment three, he says, consider others better than yourself. This is about, this is not about you. This is about the other. Those are warnings from the Apostle Paul for us in the body of Christ. And then the action, the action plan. He says, look after others' interests out of humility, out of the servant approach. Selfishness, vanity, pride, humility, servanthood. The bottom line is, it seems to me, Paul is saying, this is not about me. Man, I remember just before... Amy and I jumped on a car and moved out to California to take our first pastor at the crusty old, well-respected, I love this guy, pastor from the church we got married in, invited me to lunch. And his entire reason for taking me to lunch before I went off on my first pastorate was to say, Mike, I remember this, so he looks at me, and this is the only thing he wanted to say to me. He goes, your ministry will be a success. I want to warn you about this. People will come up to you and tell you you're great. Say thank you, then walk away and don't remember they said that to you. And that has been a good word of warning for us collectively as a church. The sin of pride, of thinking this is about me. This is not about me. This is not about you. This is about Jesus at work collectively through us to make beautiful music. Now, Paul could have ended it there. And it would have been kind of a, you know, if this is true, like a theological statement and get along, be nice to each other, um, kind of a thing. Um, But he doesn't stop there. So he delivers the punchline in verse 5, where he says, your attitude, again the word attitude, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And it's there 
that we like get in the groove together. It's there that we kind of hit the sweet spot. Like we're in the zone. I mean, those are all kind of cliche things, but I like those thoughts. Like it's there in Jesus that this actually happens, that we create beautiful music together as a church that's attractive to other people. Like our numbers are up this fall substantially. Why is that? Um, There's no pride in that. It's just happening because people are like smelling a sweet aroma around here because we are in Jesus. And that's where Paul says, this isn't about getting your act together. This is about being in Jesus. And let me close with this. Here's how he frames that out. Who, Jesus, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord God, we know that that is true about your Son. Father, we know the truth of that. Many of us here have given our very lives and our hearts to him and to the truth of that. And we've experienced you, Jesus, in just that way. And we desire to experience you more and more and more. And not just alone, but collectively as the body of Christ. Holy Spirit, if there's one here that doesn't know the Son in that way, as described here in Paul's letter, may that person hang in here with us and be patient. And may you do your supernatural work in that person's life. Father, we, we worship you. Lord Jesus, we love you and we're so grateful for your rescue. And Holy Spirit, we lay ourselves bare before you to have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen.